Will the abuse get better? Or is it going to stay the same? We're continuing on the subject of abuse today and looking at recovery rates and why your evaluation of the situation as a wife is most important and how you can cope while your marriage is still recovering from abuse. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. And we have a serious podcast for you again this week. I was actually thinking, Berlin, in the last one, one thing I noticed mm-hmm. that differs from our usual style in our podcast is we have a lot less humor, but I think that's only becoming because of the to, topic. Yeah, this is yeah. such a serious topic, right? Yeah. So this is episode 124, and today we're going to be looking at what the research says about trajectories of abuse, meaning if you learned from the last episode that you are in an abusive relationship, what hope is there for change? Right. So last week, we talked about how to know if you're in an abusive marriage or just a distressed marriage. And if you're a new listener to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People, make sure you check that episode out. And also make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer a biblical research-based approach and sort of blueprint for navigating marriage. And most of all, we offer hope, even with our topic today. Mm-hmm. So let's get into, yeah. I'm finding like even anticipating talking about this, like I kind of have a, like a heavy yeah. chest or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is one tough situation to be in. So yeah. our heart goes out to you if you're here and you're listening today. And hopefully we can speak out to you from that place, even though we are covering research, which can be academic and dry. But I think these researchers too are doing their work because they want to help and they want to see this people get help and see marriages recover. Mm-hmm. You just make the research come alive. Oh, thanks, darling. So a study from 2008 looked at physical and emotional aggression, and it measured this using what they call the domestic conflict inventory, which is a tool for measuring conflict in marriage. It includes elements that we described in our previous episode about physical and emotional aggression. Okay. So they looked at 118 couples for Linda, and they found that physical aggression significantly decreased over time, 43% per year. Emotional aggression did not significantly change over time. They actually found that husbands showed a 3% increase per year. But they just got nastier. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just hang on. Mm -hmm. It means that three or four of the men out of the 118 couples got a little bit worse. Or actually, I'm just going to say got worse. I don't know how worse they got. Okay. It's not saying that all men were 3% more terrible. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. And they found that longer duration marriages had lower physical aggression. And when we did the research on this, the the rest of the research tend to support this kind of result. So physical aggression seems to change over time, often decreasing, but emotional aggression tends to remain stable over the years. And again, when we're going to come to this in a bit, but I think we have to mention it now that every marriage is different. Yes. Yeah. So we're just reporting trends and statistics here. Your marriage is unique. Some men get more and more aggressive and end up killing their wife. That happens, right? Yeah. So I just want to make that note there. But this is generally how things go for many people. Okay. Another study from 96 found that even when the husband's physical abuse decreased over a two-year period, the same was not true of emotional abuse. So that's reinforcing that same point. Mm -hmm. The frequency of the emotional abuse remained stable even as the physical abuse decreased. Now, 
What they did find is that for men that got involved in batterer programs and sought help, there was more research showing that these programs can be effective in helping them to reduce aggressive comments and helping them communicate more positively during arguments. And that in turn helps reduce verbal abuse. But the researchers also noted that good communication skills need to be taught to both the man and the woman to be most effective. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this the other day with our kids. One of our kids was saying like, oh, these I feel messages are so dumb because... The kid just walks away and keeps doing it. Yeah. Right? So even if one spouse learns to communicate, the other needs to know how to respond to actually make a difference. Yeah. And another thing too worth noting here, Verlinda, is that this isn't just like, you know, let's go take a course or let's read a book together, honey. Mm -hmm. This is more in these kinds of situations, I found fairly consistent comments that it needs to be ongoing and seen as a process and not just a one-time cure. Okay. And so men who successfully stopped being violent in another study toward their spouses, they often stated that they were violent due to patterns of behavior learned from their parents. So these are repeated observations that they saw for years as a child, right? Yeah. So you can't just turn that off because that's how you know how to relate based on what was modeled in front of you as a child. So unless you learn a new way to relate, you can't just take that one out. Or they were more violent because it helped them feel more masculine, air quotes, and in control. And, And again, like... Like every guy wants to feel masculine and not necessarily in control, but like in control of himself, at least. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So how do you uh, move towards those same ends, which I think are healthy enough, but from a completely different approach? Uh, and, okay. and that's why yeah, this needs yeah. to be seen as a process, right? So there's there can be deeply ingrained thinking, but we need to, and because of that, we need to see this as a journey. So you can't shift this in one intervention. And the change in thinking and beliefs is most successful in men who continually engaged with counseling and intervention, such as these batterer programs. They reported that in their relationship, sometimes they would forget, and then it's air quotes again, they would forget the right ways of coping with situations, but that long-term interventions help them become more and more aware of their own motivations in being abusive, which help them towards oh, change. Yeah. So it's kind of like you need to get exposed at all the different kind of curveballs that life throws at you when you're on this side of the coin and relearn how to respond to all those things. That's why the one-time thing doesn't right. work. Okay. Yeah, so a six-week, once-a-week uh, once thing, you know, is probably going to help a little bit, but long-term sustainable change, you want to be looking at a journey here. Okay. And and so just, yeah, I don't think I need to elaborate on that anymore. Okay. Now, the question, like, how many abusive men recovery? So the answer to this depends a lot on the type of abuse being perpetrated. Again, there's higher rates of recovery for physical abuse rather than psychological abuse. I just find that but it's Surprising. so obvious. If I punch you and you have a black eye, like there's a direct correlation, right? Oh. But if we get into a verbal riffraff, yeah, yeah. And let's say you're mean, but I'm abusive. Yeah. I don't have a black eye to look at the next day. Oh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and plus we disagree already, right? So and then disagreements tend to reinforce our positions. So I can't even begin to see why you would be right. You know what I mean? Like there's confirmation bias at play. There's the backfire effect. There's all these psychological defenses. Yeah. So this is why it's easier to shift the The physical. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. A 2003 study showed that men who, or maybe it was 2004, who participate in batterer programs, they decreased in the amount of physical aggression over year over year. Some men actually became nonviolent. And so this study looked at 40 batterer programs and found that 50 to 80% of husbands who completed the program were nonviolent at the end of a six-month to one-year period, according to their wives. But the researcher went on to point out that the reduction of other forms of abuse, like psychological, is unclear. One study this researcher referenced showed that about half, 40 to 50% of the participants stopped their terroristic threats at a six-month follow-up. 
Now, a terroristic threat is like a precursor to physical violence. So that's a partial accomplishment, even at that, okay, right? Okay. In half the men. They pointed out that what they were concerned about is that some men displaced their physical abuse to heightened verbal and psychological abuse, which is very concerning. Because that's not actually stopping the abuse. That's not actually a mind shift. They've just stopped hitting them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's good that they've stopped hitting them. Yeah. yeah. The studies that I looked at were also observing that stopping the abuse for Linda was very phenomenological. I just love really? using that word. Phenomenological. Phenomenological. Which means that, and it was fascinating to read these studies because they would talk about all these different, like, did the person drink or not drink? Were they young or were they old? Were they employed or were they not employed? Oh. Um, demographics, yeah. socioeconomics, yeah. race, all these things, right? And on the part of the husband and on the part of the wife, like there's multitudes of factors that influence the outcomes here. Okay. So at the end of the day, we can do all this research, we can refer to statistics, but your marriage is unique. And this yeah. is the part that I said I was coming to. And you are unique and so is your husband. So these statistics are not determinative of the course of your marriage, right. if you're listening today. And these statistics and these researchers also don't take into account the power of God working in your marriage. And he, he has and he can change hearts. I don't know if he will change your husband's heart. I don't know that. But I was mulling over biblical examples for this, Verlaine. I was trying to think of abusive men in the Bible, and it's not something I'd thought of before. Uh -huh, so I had a real uh -huh. hard time coming up with them. The first one that came to mind was maybe Pharaoh of like the book of Moses, Exodus, right? Yeah. And the story of Moses. And eventually God just led his people out of Pharaoh's grasp. He just removed them. That was his solution. Mm -hmm. Pharaoh's heart never changed. In fact, it got harder. And they, their removal did not happen before a lot of difficulty was experienced by them, right? But for God, that was the final solution for that situation. Yeah. In other cases, you know, I don't know how harsh the kings were that led Israel captive towards the latter part of their history before mm -hmm. Christ came. But some of those kings certainly showed compassion even though they were not believers. Like so, Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, I just wonder like if they were, I can't say they were abusive, but they were certainly the conquering, I'm going to put chains on you all, take you all back, make you look like our people and do our thing. Kind of sounds abusive. Yeah. And yet, you know, you hear of them speaking towards their Jewish subjects with compassion, allowing them to go back and rebuild yeah. and yeah. so on, right? Hmm. So, so those hearts did change. Yeah, God worked in those hearts. Yeah. So your marriage is unique, and I don't know which way this is going to go, but I just thought I would I would put that out there, and hopefully you can draw some hope from that, that God still works, and he's a redeeming God and a powerful God. Mm -hmm. Okay. At this point, we're going to take a break like we usually do, Verlinda, but I wanted to do something different with today's podcast. I actually didn't okay. talk to you about this beforehand, but uh, since January 2017, you know this part. All of our bonus content is available to those that support our podcast. But for yeah. this episode, we have a worksheet that gives you the essential information you need to find help when you're in an abusive marriage. And ethically, I thought, you know what? I cannot put this behind a paywall. Yeah. I'm not going to make people yeah. pay for this. So it's also available on our Patreon page, but this particular post that it's available on makes the, the download free for everyone. So all you need to do is go to oif.support. That'll take you to our Patreon page. Look for episode 124 to get that free worksheet. We'll take our usual 60 second break here, but I just wanted to make sure that you knew that this particular guide is available for free. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day -day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. 
Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about abuse and the uniqueness of your marriage in this regard. So this kind of brings us to the next part is, you know, so everybody else has thoughts about whether it's going to continue or not. But what do you think as the wife, as the victim in this situation? A study from 2008 by Bell et al., they wanted to try to determine if victims of psychological abuse were able to accurately predict their risk for future psychological abuse. So they had participants rate the likelihood that their partner would engage in controlling or dominant behavior or efforts to humiliate or degrade them in the coming year. And then they followed up 18 months later. And what they found was that women were more likely to be right than wrong in their assessments of risk. Oh, yeah. And almost two thirds, there were 62% of victims that accurately assessed their risk of being psychologically reabused either for or against. Meaning they predicted it would go up, it went up. They predicted it would go down, it went down. So they were accurate. Two thirds of them were right. Hmm. Now, that's why your thought matters, right? And your that what matters? thought, your opinion. And I'm okay. talking to the, to the listener here, right? Yeah. But it also means that we're going to have a little bit longer episode today because if you're a wife in an abusive marriage and you want to keep your marriage but not keep the abuse, I want to give you some things to work on. One is a way to cope, and you may have figured some of this out already and be already doing this. And another is a way to look at shifting the pattern of abusive behavior. And I do have to just make the caution that this podcast is just a self-help tool and it doesn't replace individual counseling or getting professional help for your situation. Always bear in mind that if you attempt to shift things in an abusive relationship, you may put yourself and your children into greater danger. And next week, we're going to be talking about when to leave and when to stay. And if you need to leave, how to do so safely. So if you're not certain of your safety today, I would certainly say hold off on trying anything new until you listen to that episode or do some personal research along these lines. So just proceed with caution. I want to talk then a little bit for Linda about how to cope with an abusive husband. So let's just say that we have a wife, she's listening today. And she really feels in her gut that this can improve, like it can get better. Okay. Okay. So your evaluation of how things are going to go with your husband is likely accurate. We've determined that. Yeah. In your gut. Yeah. Yeah. We also know that there's no way to predict the future, but there are steps that you can take to protect yourself and give your marriage the best chance for healing. Now we have to put the caveat on here to really talk to wives where Usually in these situations, your husband is blaming you for all the distress and the abuse that's happening in the marriage. Like if you would just stop doing this or that, then he wouldn't get angry at you, right? Yeah. And I'm concerned that when I say, here's things you can do to help, that I could be conveying the same message. Like if you would just change, this would stop. Okay. And I just wanted to reaffirm our wives that are listening that you are not the problem and you are not the cause of his abuse. He is the source. He is the cause of that issue. It's coming out of his brokenness. It's not your fault. Even if you respond Mm -hmm. in ways that you're not proud of, it's still not your fault. But there are some things that you may be able to do to help yourself cope and help empower yourself against the abuse and thereby shift your position in the marriage. And this may improve your situation. That's what I'm trying to help with and with shifting this pattern of abusive behavior. So there's four things to look at. The first three are, they go together. They're from a study in 2008 where the researchers interviewed 27 women who had been in an abusive, intimate relationship, but these relationships had become nonviolent. 
So these three items build on each other. So this is just really kind of taking their stories and looking at kind of the core elements that, that helped them. Okay. Now, the first one is, is about counteracting abuse. And this involves actively struggling to survive day to day in the context of abuse while exploring ways to change, avoid or escape his oppressive behavior. And again, we're going to go through these strategies, but you're the best person also to evaluate whether they're safe to engage or not. So don't just try these because I'm listing them off. You're the expert in your relationship on your husband. Trust yourself to know what may help and what may put you at greater risk. Right. Now, there's three ways to try counteracting. First, minimizing. So you may be able to engage in a process of reducing the intensity and frequency of abusive attacks by doing what he wants, by being careful and not fighting back. So okay. you're just lowering the number of episodes that you're experiencing. This is just a way to cope. This yeah. isn't actually going to fix the abuse. No. Although I will... No. I don't... <laughs> this is Sorry. tricky, right? You may be able to see a shift on your marriage on your own with wise thinking and help from God. That's possible, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So this is just kind of being proactive to not like flip the triggers that yes. cause the explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And fortifying is the second part. So this is about making an effort to improve your own day-to-day -day life where you can cautiously choose to open up to safe, trusted, confidence, people that you can talk to that will have your back. You can find comfort talking to others. You can engage in work, in education, in community, because you may find yourself now having sort of over time lost contact with many of those things. Mm -hmm. And you can find comfort in simple individual or community activities. So this kind of fortifies, it strengthens yourself, right? And it's, okay. it's subtle. So it's not a direct assault back against the abuser. So this is um, like strengthening yourself as an individual. Yeah. As a person. Because you have your own relationships, you have work that you do. So you're starting to feel mm -hmm. strong because a lot of, a lot of ladies in this situation find themselves like with a ton of self-doubt, an incredibly low self-esteem and a low sense of self-worth. Okay. So this is just strengthening yourself again, right? And the minimizing, I think, just kind of lowers the volume and everything. It takes you away from okay. some of the craziness, right? Yeah. And then breaking free. So this involves considering your options and beginning to disengage from the abusive relationship. So considering options... And I just, I didn't say break free or leave. I said just considering, right? Okay. And beginning to disengage. So this means taking an inventory of available resources. Like what do you have that allows you to go somewhere and be safe if you choose to do so? It's another way okay. to counteract abuse. And it's something that we're going to go into more detail on next time. Next so time that's the, yeah. next week. Next week, yeah. Okay. So this is counteracting abuse, which is sort of a basic layer. And if you look at this, none of this is a direct affront back to the attacker. Right. Okay. Because that may put the woman in more danger. Yes. Okay. Is that making sense? Yeah, that part is. And you had some concerns before we started. Do you want to well, bring I that just, up? Well, I'd always heard like fighting back may cause a worse reaction. Yeah. It may put you in more danger. So when we were going over this before we started, I had my reservations as to mm -hmm. whether we should be talking about this. But I do understand what you were saying there as in none of these are affronting the husband or yeah. confronting him. They're just ways to build yourself up yeah. as an individual. Yeah. 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 So that's in this section, that is true. Now, as we come to the next section, uh -huh. now the pushback may begin and you don't want to begin this section until you've done a good job of the first one, I would say, right? So this is part okay. of your journey. And, and when you come to this, 
again, your evidence gathering. And if you've been doing the other things, it's interesting to know, like, has your relationship gotten, like, have things improved a little bit? Is he calming down or is it still bad? Right. If, okay. if doing these things is going to inflame him and put you at risk, then you should not do these things. These things will not work for your marriage. Okay. In another marriage where it's a different form of abuse and there are different issues happening, these things may help you to change your relationship. Okay. Okay. So we had... And it could even depend on his motive for the abuse. So many things, Rolanda. Okay. So we had 8,000 over 8,000 downloads last week. Okay. Uh So I don't know how many marriages are going to listen to this and try to work on this, but we're speaking to all of the marriages and only some of them will different parts work for. Right. So this is again, back on you, our listener, to be wise, to be praying and to be cautious. And trust yourself. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So... The second part is called taking control. And this is the process of initiating action to shift the power in the relationship. Okay, so this is where it starts and we're looking to shift power. Mm -hmm. And wives often did this in this study. They observed that wives often did this in response to a specific escalation that kind of became a turning point. Like he went too far once and she, so that actually, although it was bad for her, it gave her leverage to say this will not, to shift the power. Okay. She wasn't willing to take it anymore. Yeah. Like it was a breaking point kind yeah. of. And for okay. others though, there was just like a cumulative pattern of insidious abuse of control that became intolerable. So you've been doing this little thing or not little, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a not a, it's not a huge blow up, but you've been doing this steady degrading, dripping faucet, degrading mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of stuff, right? Okay. And I'm done. Mm-hmm. So in this, there's three things as well in this area of taking control. Okay. One, limiting. So this is setting and enforcing boundaries on your spouse's behavior. And strategies like this may include threatening your spouse and physically separating. When I say threatening your spouse, it's more like, if you do this, this is what will happen. It's a logical consequence. Like a boundary. Yes. A threat. Yes. Or it may actually mean leaving the home. Because often like the abuser can continue and he has all his power until she leaves and people start to see that he's there by himself. Then they'll start asking questions and then the oppression and his power to hide everything is taken away from him. Oh, okay. Okay. So this threatening is pressuring your husband to make a specific change to identify the consequences if they do not. The physical separation is relocating with relatives in shelters or to new accommodation is to somewhere safe. Again, we'll go into more detail on that next episode. But you don't want to threaten unless you're actually going to carry it out. Yes. Yeah. If you... There's no point saying, if you do this again, I'm doing this, I'm and then leave. he does it, and then you don't leave. No, you have to be ready for that yourself. So that's why when, you need to do the first part Yes, exactly. of strengthening yourself. Okay. Yeah. And I've, I've met wives that have said, you know what, I'm not ready yet. Okay. And I've also, this was a, a statistic that was handed to me informally by an expert in this field. Okay. And she said that in situations where the husband's not able to change, I think it was, the wife will often leave seven or eight times before she f- has a final departure. Wow, she keeps Yeah, going so back. she goes back. And she says, you have to prepare the family to support her choices to go back because what you mm-hmm. want her, you don't want the family to become the next person taking control of her. Right. You want to really right. empower this woman to support her choices, to ask her how that went, to help her evaluate this. So if you're listening to this from a helping perspective today, just keep that in mind that you want to make this about empowering her to keep making decisions and supporting her and helping her to see how those come out so that you're, you continue to support her individuality. Even if you don't think it's the right decision. Yeah. And you're scared. Yeah. I would be scared. Scared to bits, right? Yeah. Okay, so the first one is limiting, which includes this physical separation possibility. The second one is building personal power. This is about acquiring new personal capacities and resources to facilitate taking control. That's like getting help, 
learning about this, boosting your competence in functioning in the world, like things that have been taken away from you. Mm. Start developing your competence on those things again. Get new, fresh perspectives on what's happening in your marriage so you have an, a way of seeing this that is not with all the brain games that he's played with you to twist your thinking. It's clear. Okay, okay. Like get clarity, right? This is personal power. Okay. The third one is renegotiating the relationship. And this is a direct process of agreeing on and living by new standards. So you might consider setting up trial periods to see if the change behavior is sustainable, like if he can hold to it, or developing formal rules for handling habitually challenging situations. So if he's on a specific cycle and something sets him off every time, it's like, here's how we're going to handle that going forward. You negotiate oh, that with okay. him. Okay. For example, as soon as he starts to lose his temper, he agrees to go to the garage until he's calmer. Like he must do that every time. That's the agreement, okay. right? Yeah. The consequence for not doing this is that she will go to her parents or she'll call the police or something, right? So just setting those rules, hard rules up to protect, okay, to renegotiate that part of the relationship so that that is not acceptable. So guys will actually do this? Some. Okay. Yeah. At this point, if she's coming this far, Verlinda, yeah. they both want the marriage, probably. Okay. And he realizes he has a problem. Okay. That something needs to change. Okay. Yeah. Probably is how this looks. Okay. And then the third one. So we had, uh, what do we start with, Verlinda? Counteracting abuse, taking yeah. control, and now living differently. And then we'll wrap up after this. So living differently is like after you've taken control so that you're no longer in the victim position and you've been counteracting the abuse, you can refine the shift in the relationship. It's assuming you want to remain in this marriage. Yeah. So step one is start by looking at coexisting. And this means like living separately, but together day by day. So if you've had to go down the separation route yeah. and you're looking at bringing your lives back together, yeah. you spend days together, basically in evenings, okay. right? Okay. And your husband has to abide by the conditions negotiated and taking control back. And this will work best if the physical abuse is stopped and you feel you have enough control in your life. Right. So, so. for every woman, this is going to be so different, like where you are in your oh, own yeah. journey. and Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's where I get to use my favorite word, phenomenological. It's unique. Yeah. Okay. And then reinvesting where this is looking to your husband to rebuild the relationship and to change his behavior. So combined with the wife's increase in personal power, this may result in a shift towards reinvesting in the relationship. Now, I know that talking about a wife having control is not what you're used to hearing in the context of a traditional or complementarian or even an egalitarian relationship. Okay. But when you have abuse going on, the normal biblical or Christian ideals for marriage are already so completely violated that you have to position things now in defense of the wife's safety. That becomes the higher priority than having a traditional family structure, okay. if I can put it that way. Because that's already been blown out the yeah. window. Okay. At least until such a time as she feels safe enough, like there's enough trust and safety in his reform and it's proven out, like it's sustained, it's abiding, yeah. that she'd be willing to return to share power and control more as equals in the relationship. Okay. But even at that, you know, he needs to know there's, there's boundaries. And if he starts going down a certain road, we're going to start this over. She's going to retake control. This mm -hmm. is what it's going to look mm -hmm. like, right? And that kind of leads us to the idea of reconfiguration, which is setting things up for the present and the future. So trust is a prerequisite for this. And this is the part where you set tentative standards for the present, for the future. And I say tentative because you're saying this is how we'll live as long as it's safe to do so. If the abuse reinitiates, as I mentioned just a moment ago, mm -hmm. you get to reevaluate. It's about saying, we're not going back to the way it was, to the old configuration. We're reconfiguring. We're going to create something new together, and it has to be founded on trust and respect. Okay. So that's the two of you really kind of rebuilding this marriage to look like it should, mm -hmm. where it's healthy for both of you. So those are the three things that build on each other. You can kind of see how you really go through your process there, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, do you know, I just feel lighter talking about this already. Like that there's <laughs> some hope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now there is a fourth thing, which is separate. Okay. okay. And it's running on a separate track from the three it comes from a different source, but it addresses coping. So it'll help you more while you're in the process of working on the other three. Okay. And what that is, is I'd like you as a wife, if you're in this situation to really consider getting involved in a support group it has to be safe for you to be able to do so. Like you have to be able to, often wives in this situation have to account for their time. Right. But try and find this support group and engage in it if it's safe to do so. These Groups can really help you to spot and challenge the signs of abuse. Because again, keep in mind, Verlinda, when you're right in the middle of this, you yes. don't know which way is up and you don't even know what's normal and what's not. It's so disorientating. Yeah. Okay. And and the groups provide an opportunity to compare notes with other women and to find safe ways to begin to challenge the behavior of the abuser. So the support here may not actually help you solve the abuse, but it can help you to cope. It can give you a reference point, especially for all that crazy making that happens in psychologically abusive situations. Mm -hmm. Just make sure that the group you join is going to support you and, and make sure it's a group where it's clear that it's not the woman's fault. So there's support groups out there that say, well, it's your fault. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. If you would just be a better help me. Oh. There's Christian books out there, Verlinda, that support abusive husbands. Like, oh, here, let's let's write a book about how to be the best kind of doormat you possibly can, like to really get the mud off his boots. It's brutal. So I'm sorry I had to say that, but I did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a notable caveat. Mm-hmm. All right. That's another tough one done. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. All righty. So in closing... Yeah, we want to shout out to those of you who chose to begin supporting our show last week, Helena, Jude, Ismail, and Pamela. We really appreciate you joining us in this work. We're so thankful to be working with others who care about marriage. Marriage is so important, not only to us as couples, like our own marriages, mm -hmm. but also I think to our nations and to our cultures. It's just so critical. Yeah, I agree. So thank you very much. And we also want to shout out a huge thank you to those who left us reviews on iTunes this week. Er Sorry, I keep oh, leaving yeah. the words this week in there, but it's actually a while ago and we're just catching up on them this right, week. Right, right, right. But I'm reading them this week again. Yes. By non-game player. So good. Five stars. Tuned in today for the first time and love all the varying views presented. I think I listened to about six episodes. Oh, boy. And I'm excited to see positive changes in my marriage. That's pretty good. Yeah. Six episodes <laughs> and we're seeing changes. That is awesome. And from... This is the title here. It's from SM Krukshank. SM Krukshank. Listening to current and downloading all the previous podcasts, five stars, practical advice that is helpful and also entertaining, a range of informative material varying from the, well, duh, why didn't I think of that, to the, my word, that's deep, which then causes me to rewind and listen to the said advice multiple times to ensure that I understand it. Great chemistry, great advice, great podcast. That that's one's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Thanks for leaving those reviews, folks. We know that iTunes does not make it easy for you, so we do appreciate when you yeah. take the time. Next week, Ferlander, we're going to talk yeah. about when to stay or leave in an abusive marriage, as I've mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to be talking through that in the context of honoring Christian values around marriage. So that's going to be a challenging one, because I know there's some folks listening to this who are like the extreme no divorcers. Right. And, and we're going to be talking about, hey, this is when you need to leave. Right. So It's going to be another like heavy-hearted. It could be, yeah. But can I take a disclaimer for myself for a moment here? Okay. Just to say that, like, we have put thousands of hours and of our own dollars into saving marriages. Yes. And so if we end up telling someone, this is when you need to leave, please be assured that we don't say that lightly. Yes, absolutely. And yes. when you've spent that much money and that much time trying to save marriages, then uh, feel free to send us critical emails. <laughs> so that's all for today's episode. 
I just set a boundary there. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> That's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 124, 124. To find out how you can help, go to oyf.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.